Hello, and welcome to Furloughed, Defining Moments Worth Talking About. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and with me, Steve Otterstrom today. And Steve, it's been an interesting week around the Cochran household. Um, (laughs) This morning, I woke up to temperatures of 58 degrees in my bedroom. And that's with the electric space heater on. So it's it's been quite a week here. Our heater went out, and wow. uh, it's it's taking more than twenty four hours to fix. We're we're approaching forty eight hours, and I, I believe the gentleman should be back today uh, before temperatures drop into the freezing overnight, at least. So how how are you doing? Staying warm? <laughs> I'm a lot warmer than you are, I'll tell you that. And and, and you know, of course, if you go outside, you probably have my in my, my uh, <laughs> temperatures extreme. Uh, my <laughs> indoor temperature is what is normally outdoors here. I think. <laughs> yeah, it, it has been pretty cold here. Uh, you know, we're definitely getting into winter, um, but uh, definitely, definitely, we're we're a lot warmer on the inside <laughs> than what yeah. you're dealing with. And I know, I know, for you, it's got to add an added stress because um, your household is starts from very young. Uh, we're not going to say to very old, but it spans multi-generations. And yes. uh, so it's not just a, a bunch of young bucks like yourself, who is yeah. maybe an aging young buck, but um, th- that has to add an added level of challenge and difficulty and stress, keeping, keeping everybody warm and, and comfortable. Yeah, well, it, it, yeah. When you have a, a two-year-old grandchild that doesn't know what socks are and can't keep them on her feet when she does see them, uh, and, and then uh, now we did. There's only three generations now, so I, oh. I am, I, I am one of the senior individuals in the home now. But yes, it it, it is a challenge. Um, and then, interestingly enough, when we very first moved into the home. Um, I may have made mention before it was a foreclosure, and so when we moved in. We just moved in as was. It was living condition to a degree at that point. Long story short, though, what we found out is electric space heaters have to be cautiously used in this home because all of the electricity on the north side of the house is on one circuit breaker, and it seems as though all the electricity on the south side of the house is on a second breaker. So I, we strategically have to place electric heaters or else all the breakers go off. And so we, we have to kind of keep it to two space heaters for the entire floor, which is about 1,500 square foot uh, for those folks that are into numbers and want to know how large the house is on the bottom <laughs> floor. <laughs> so it's all that to say, it's not a lot of heat for a large no. area. <laughs> Maybe if you're right up next to it, you'd feel it. But yeah, yeah that makes it very hard. There's, there's not a good solution for yeah. you and when and we do have a, electric, more we have an electric hot pad for our dogs to share <laughs> that's the coldest room is the kitchen with the tile floor so and i guess i guess you could cuddle up to your dogs that <laughs> <laughs> there you go well i think they are warmer than us to begin with as well aren't they well i so. remember going camping years ago and it was really early in the season and uh brought my dog with me and um as it got late into the night, generally I'm like, you you sleep over there and I sleep over here. And I'm like, come here, puppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're warm. I don't care that you smell bad. Yeah. And, and yeah. all of a sudden I understood how my wife does it. She's like, you're warm. I don't care that you smell bad. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yes, that could be true <laughs> for both of us, I'm afraid. <laughs> But yeah, it it and, and speaking of stress, Steve, it really 
you know, I, I think that's a great thing for us to kind of talk about that. Yes, it is a little stressful to, to be in a, I would call it ice cold. I know technically it's not, but to be in an ice cold home, it's a little stressful to be having just passed Thanksgiving, moving towards the holidays. It's a little stressful because I see one more state certified who the president will be, but yet there's still folks believing that it's not going the direction that it's going. And Mm -hmm. we are still in a COVID world and lockdowns are increasing throughout the United States and varying states. Uh, Throughout the world too yes obviously yes yes i i I guess i'm a little u.s centric today but you're you're totally right it's not that anybody's shaking it too much at all i guess and so i i think it'd be great to spend just a few moments talking about stress and i recognize neither you or i are uh, uh mental health professionals uh i've had some training but i certainly far from being a professional uh but i I think it's uh, time to kind of reflect about it, and especially going into the holiday season. Um, we've mentioned before, our audience knows, the holiday season's a time of year where people battle with mental health and a number of things anyhow. And so if we can be of any help to throw a few suggestions out there, and I, I know from my own story, I found something that works for me for certain areas of stress in my life uh-huh. uh, that I'd be glad to share. And maybe that could be a help and support for others. And as always, we'd, we'd love to hear from our audience as well, different things that they have as well. Well, and I think that's if there's anything that we've gained from, you know, 2020, it's, it's that we all have um, a little more of a shared experience with stress, um, yes. with anxiety. You know, I, I think about even just, going through this year and from the different emails I got at different times, you know, the, mm-hmm. the first one that um, happened at work, which really gave me the impression that things were going South, you know, when they uh, got that email saying that, you know, um, <laughs> contractors were no longer going to be working with us. And, you know, yes. I think you and I were doing mental math <laughs> yes. and then, you know, another email that confirmed what, what we kind of suspected was going to happen, that we were, you know, uh, being furloughed. And then um, there was that email that said, you're no longer employed. And uh, there was just so many stresses that went in between those, um, those things. And, and, you know, what's interesting is just, there's nobody I've talked to who, I guess there's someone out there, but that was like, oh yeah, this was an easy year. This was a great year. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it doesn't well, mean there weren't wins this year. Yeah. But, well, if um, I owned Amazon, I might be feeling pretty good right now, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But for the rest of the world, yes, I think we've had some stresses. Well, and if you owned any stocks this year, you felt really good at times and you felt really sick at times. <laughs> you know. Yes. So yes. It, even people who might have benefited in the end from, um, you know, some really record gains in the stock market. Yeah. I mean, and who knows, by the time someone listens to this, those gains may not exist anymore. <laughs> so that just shows how stressful um, this this yeah. year has been uh, yeah. for so many people. It's so funny you mentioned the stock market and just reflecting on the year. We sort of started this. So my family, my full family, so all seven of us in this household, uh, went on vacation just prior to COVID lockdown in the U.S. 
And so we, we traveled, uh, drove by car, two different vehicles, drove by car. So it was about an eight-hour drive, six-hour drive. And in the back seat of my car is my adult son trying to sell his stock because he had just made a tremendous amount of money. And uh, it was one of those times, if you track the news and are in the stock market, that Robinhood, uh, their system's locked up and you couldn't sell or buy. And so his sell did not happen. And so he lost several thousands of dollars because of not being able to access the system. And uh, that was the beginning of our vacation. And by end of vacation, you had to uh, order your food to go from Chick-fil-A. You could no longer go to the Coca-Cola Museum and all of those things. Uh, unfortunately for him, though, uh, Robin Hood did make it right. They saw that he had filed. and He did get that money back later. And needless to say, he was a very happy camper when that <laughs> happened. Uh, so, what a horrible way to start your vacation. <laughs> happy vacation. Yeah. You just lost several thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, well, and, and uh, speaking of stress, I know I, I'm stressing a little because I'm sure people are probably hearing a heater blow in the background of my room or hearing some other noises today. So, I, I, I'm just, I won't stress much about it, but I do want to be public and apologize in advance if folks are hearing some unusual noises because the re my wonderful recording studio that is my bedroom is not quite uh, optimum uh, today with the conditions that I'm living under. Well, if it helps you feel any better, I'm not hearing any sounds coming through. It might All just right. be my old ears that aren't catching those frequencies, but <laughs> so right. far from my end, it sounds great. Good deal. Well, let, let me kind of kick off and, and if I could just share a personal experience about stress because I, I was literally hospitalized due to stress. And uh, so I, I realize that doesn't make me an expert, but by golly, to me, it does because I've been through it. And so the story you're about to hear is true. Here's my disclaimer, everyone. The story you're about to hear is true. Uh, it did happen. This is the way I saw that it happened. And this is uh, what I found to be helpful for me with it. And so, again, just kind of setting the stage, talking about the fact that we're approaching the holidays. And some years ago, and by all means, I know, Steve, you'll have questions along the way. But <laughs> some years ago, I was working in the hotel. And at that time, I was in food service. Um, and it was not my favorite job to begin with because the person that hired me, I was a salaried employee. I, I had, I'm, I'm reluctant to say it because my European counterparts would laugh if they knew what I really did, but I did have the title as pastry chef. Um, nothing like a real pastry chef in Europe or other parts of the world, but I did have the title and the responsibility of running the desserts and the breads and so on at this hotel. And the person that hired me was the chef, and he was very much in control of the kitchen. So all that to lead in to say the hours I worked were not my own. I had a set schedule that was set by me, and he had a schedule that I had to work. And so uh, I was already occasionally working 12-hour days and, and sometimes 13-hour days and whatnot, uh, not at my own choosing, but because of the surprise element of, hey, we have an important banquet tonight and you need to be here. So that coupled with the fact we were leading into the holidays and this particular hotel was host of an American football team 
we have our bowl games here in America for those that don't know football uh, as we do here in America. So it's college football. And uh, we were hosting one of the teams as well as a competing team, uh, competing hotel hosting one of the teams. And so what did that mean? That meant over Christmas, we had almost full occupancy in our hotel. And the game was going to be played on New Year's Day. So we were going to have full occupancy for a good three weeks or so in a row as the team arrived early and as fans arrived early to support the team. And there were two of us that helped with the pastries and the desserts and all of that at that hotel. So if I could, now you know the situation and the stress that I'm about to lead you through. But in addition, I had already had a previous physical condition. And so I want to address that for just a moment. Uh, So at one point in time in my life, the first time I remember ever feeling the way that I did when this condition would come upon me is I got uh, food poisoning at culinary school. I was not alone. Uh, One of the gentlemen went home and couldn't even complete his uh, education for the year because he he had to go home and was hospitalized. Um, Others were sick for just a few days. Uh, I hugged the toilet and clung for dear life (laughs) for a (laughs) couple of days. Uh, Mine was minor compared to some, but it gave me an idea of what food poisoning was like because I experienced it from shellfish. That being said, Years later, which leads to the hotel story, um, I occasionally would get symptoms like food poisoning. Um, And uh, warning for everybody that's a little soft stomach, I'm not going to be too graphic, but this is probably going to be a PG conversation today. (laughs) Uh, So I I didn't have diarrhea, but I did have vomiting. And the release came from vomiting. Uh, Abdominal cramps, quite severe, and the relief came from vomiting. And so before this whole holiday scenario where I was hospitalized, I would occasionally have incidents. It started about once a month, and then it became closer in frequency. So I was already seeing a gastrologist to figure out what was wrong Mm -hmm. because I knew it wasn't normal to get food poisoning once a month. (laughs) No, or you really need to be, you know, resourcing your, your, your products. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, or, or find somebody else to cook the food or something. <laughs> yeah, something, something needs to change. So uh, it, it, it did. It literally started, there was one instance, and the second instance was maybe six months later, and then the third instance was, you know, so the time window got shorter and shorter. So at the time of this instance where I was hospitalized, I was almost once a month having severe abdominal cramps. I literally literally would lay on the floor in the bathroom on a towel so I would be near the toilet um, in a fetal position um, uh, until relief came. And I don't know why I never tickled my tonsils. I don't know <laughs> that that would have immediately <laughs> fixed it. Uh, but in the end, that was kind of the what, what needed to happen. And, and then after recovering the shock of my body, I would be okay. But this particular time, as I say, the hotel was full. We're leading into holidays, and I was just nauseous. There wasn't It wasn't the same as all those previous times. And so I drove by the hotel on the way to the ER to find out what was wrong, and my coworker immediately looked at me 
and kindly says, you're green, you're under stress, <laughs> which I denied both of those. And long story short, I was admitted to the hospital on the 17th of December. I had a six months old daughter. So I'm relatively newly married at the time, uh, just beyond a year. And, uh, when I was hospitalized, they started to do research to figure out what was going on. I had 104 temperature, and that temperature did not break immediately when I entered the hospital. Wow. As a matter of fact, that temperature stayed for three days as they were researching and trying to figure out what was happening. So thank God it wasn't a critical mass temperature. You know, I don't have brain damage. <laughs> <laughs> at least some, I would argue that. Uh, but it's not very but, far from. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, that, was, that, that's that's the kind that. Yeah, I would was, imagine you were. It, it might have been a hundred two. Yeah, and honestly, it might be a hundred and two because I do think a hundred four is is severe or yeah. extreme severe. But so it might have been a hundred and two. It's been so long now. I apologize if I'm off on my numbers. But I do. But either know, way, you were running the temperature. Yeah, running the temperature. Even, even medicated. Absolutely. And so they begin to do, and so they were going to do a upper GI, you know, to make sure there was nothing in my esophagus and so on. They were going to do a lower GI, make sure there was nothing in my intestines. And of course, the lovely nurse accidentally gave me barium dye, which you can't see inside someone's colon when they have barium dye. Barium dye is the, how they see the x ray, the shape of what your body is and not what's inside the cavern. uh, So anyways, uh, but long story short, the most traumatic time in the hospital was about two days in, or maybe, maybe almost on that third day, but I think it was the second day they determined they couldn't figure out what was going on. And they said that there was a possibility that I had a rare form of leukemia cancer. And so they wanted to draw bone marrow from my hip and naturally, you know, whatever you need to do, but it was seeing the expression in my wife's eyes and knowing that she was staying at the hospital with me while parents were taking care of our six month old child. The reality of this whole situation started really way heavy on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they, they did draw the bone marrow from my hip, which I can share that story another time. It's not as painful as some folks think, but it's not a lot of fun. And that the needle is about 12 inches long for real. Oh my goodness. So, uh, but they drew bone marrow and they were in the process of figuring all this out. And I was waiting for results. And literally the third day, it's almost as though I heard an audible voice. And in my mind, it was as though I heard an audible voice that said, it's stress, you dummy. Now, I know God probably doesn't talk like that to everybody, and I'm not sure it was God, but in my mind, it really was. (laughs) And so, but once I heard that voice and I began to reel the tape backwards, I really recognized that, yeah, it was stress. And of course, I set the story up so you all knew it was stress. Uh, But going into it, I didn't recognize it was stress. And once I acknowledged it was stress, my temperature began to drop. And once I acknowledged it was stress, I began to replay the video, trying to figure out what I could have done differently or what happened to get me where I was to be in the hospital the week before, the weekend before Christmas with a wife 
a new child and everything going on in my world. So that's the start of my story or before I began to understand what I needed to do. Now, was there ever a point, that, you know, as, as you're going through this, that we're like your, your medical um, team, I guess, because you've had many people looking at you where they were, where they acknowledged, you know, this is, this is happening in your brain. I mean, it was happening physically as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But was there a point where, where they, they, um, offer treatment or, or, or something that would, would help with the stress that was the precursor to this? Yeah, no, at that that point, stress had not been identified as a, as a factor. Uh, again, I started seeing the gastrologist, um, when I was having some regular problems with it. And, uh, I guess in honesty, this probably was over the course of about a year probably Mm -hmm. I I did get sick a couple of times right at, uh, getting married. So I I think that's maybe when it set in motion where there was a regular frequency where the pace of it got quicker and quicker. Um, I'm not pointing at my wife, but (laughs) in sincerity (laughs) though, just the idea of getting married, uh, she had lost her job while we were engaged. And so we were starting our marriage on a single income and I Mm -hmm. wasn't wealthy, (laughs) nor do I call myself wealthy today. Uh, But it was not, it was not that great of an income that I had. So I think, you know, some of those concerns is probably what perpetuated it then. But yeah, I was, I had gone to the gastrologist, they'd done some testing at the office. And I was under his care for probably a month or so uh, before this uh, it, it reached a crescendo of, of having to be admitted to the hospital and never was stress considered a factor. Um, in my family, there is history of, uh, I believe they call it colitis, you know, spastic colon, different things like mm-hmm. that. Um, there's a history of diabetes. There's a history of heart problems. There's a history of cholesterol. You know, So there's a lot of health issues from both sides of my family that could have been contributing factors. And so I think we, I, I know I was certainly uh, looking that direction that maybe there was something going on there. Mm-hmm. So well, one of the it's... interesting things too, and again, not to be graphic, but to illustrate, uh, as I mentioned, typically I would get relief from vomiting. And then from there, it was just a matter of recovering from my body being racked with pain and abdominal cramps and, mm-hmm. and so on. And uh, this particular time when I was hospitalized, I could not vomit. There was no desire. There was no effort. There was nothing there. And the reason I share that and and the reason this is semi-important is because my body wasn't working the way it should. Uh, What happened that time is when I did finally get sick, I could literally identify the food that came out. I could see that was the hot dog and the corn that I had eaten 48 hours prior in a chewable state. (laughs) Your digestion had basically Absolutely. Yes. My stomach truly stopped digesting. Uh, It don't, you know, I don't, I'm not a medical profession. I don't quite know how that works. 
Uh, but needless to say, I do know somewhere in the neighborhood of 24 hours or so, we typically push things through our body. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, after 48, I could still identify it just as though it was thrown in a blender and sat in front of you <laughs> just a moment ago, you know. So, uh, Well, and I'm sure so- that this plays in really heavy way. You know, when you went to the hospital, they took this very seriously. I mean, yeah. I've been to the hospital a handful of times and, you know, as far as being admitted, unless it was like a a surgery or something that was already predetermined, you know, I've never been admitted. I've always been treated and and sent home, you know, so there's a, there's another level of seriousness when they, when they don't want you to leave. And I'm sure that the, the fact that it appeared that there were aspects of your, of your different systems, your digestive system in this circumstance that were appearing to shut down would have raised huge flags. Yeah. 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 And like I say, that added such emotion to the whole situation as well, where, yeah, I mean, when, when you hear, you know, rare form of leukemia, uh, it, it's not something that your doctor tells you every day. It's no. not something most people have to contend with. And rare form of anything usually means less treatable. Yeah, yeah. Less knowledge, less treatable, uh, or just throwing pie at the wall to see if it's going to stick because we have no idea what it is. So Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it's this. So, but the good news is, as uh, during that stay, uh, that I, like I say, I literally, it was almost as though it was an audible voice that said, you know, it's stress, you dummy. And so just the acknowledgement itself for me was a step uh, because for whatever reason, I I didn't particularly understand that it was stress. Uh, I didn't particularly, I mean, I knew there was, I knew I was in a stressful situation. It was, it was probably the worst job I'd ever had. (laughs) And, and I knew that I would be stuck there extended hours through the holiday season when my family would be celebrating and my family's family would be celebrating and I would be at work. So I I, I knew there was stress involved, but I didn't recognize to the level that stress could have and did impact my physical body. So I think acknowledging that stress was one of the things. And then what I did is I took the time to kind of inventory again. I mentioned it uh, earlier. I took the time to kind of inventory what got me to where I was. Was there a pattern that I could see? And so for me, uh, it's it's really just simply three elements for me. And I recognize stress is different for everyone. So again, I, I, I joked about it at the start of our t- conversation, Steve you know, this is me and what worked for me. So I don't promise it will for you, but at least maybe some of the ideas of, of inventory and maybe some of the ideas of looking at these areas could be helpful to some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, the, the perfect trifecta was the fact that I was working long hours. Uh, so a, again, it was two of us that were delivering for almost a full hotel when we're talking desserts and some of those types of things. Yeah. So it was very long hours and inconsistent hours at that. In addition, I, I'm, I'm a unique person. My wife hates me for it. Um, <laughs> I don't eat when I'm under stress. So I'm not a stress eater. I am a stress faster, I guess is what you would call it. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I neglect to consume food when I'm under stress. 
And so needless to say, that means I'm not getting the proper nutrition, of mm -hmm. course. I mean, it doesn't take a scientist to figure that out. And then the third area, of course, is a lack of sleep. And so those, as I was looking at things, those seemed to be the three things that I could pinpoint that kind of got me to where I was because I knew I was physically feeling fatigued for the amount of hours that I was working. I knew that I was eating probably the equivalent of one meal a day or a meal and a half a day. And mind you, this is in a kitchen on your feet for 12 some odd hours or more. Uh, so you probably need to consume a few more calories than what that was. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then, of course, working that many hours on top of it. And so one of the wonderful things is, is as I recognized each of those areas, I determined a few things that I could do to help change it. So obviously my, my workload was going to be what it was going to be. And uh, oddly enough, I kept that job for over a year longer before I left. But I knew when I was in the hospital, <laughs> I wasn't going to stay there, <laughs> yeah. but I had to find the right opportunity to leave. Uh, so that, that one was something I knew, but I had to wait for right conditions, but I could certainly handle my food intake. And so since that time, I've literally pretty well always determined that I'm going to eat three meals a day. Now, if I don't eat three meals, it's generally something that I determined not to do. So in plain, simple terms, I'm going to eat three meals unless I decide not to. Whereas at that point in time, it wasn't so much a decision that I was not going to eat. I was just neglectful of eating. Mm -hmm. So now I'm consciously aware. You hadn't eaten. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so now I'm consciously aware of the fact, did I have three meals today? Yes or no. Am I skipping breakfast because I want to? Am I skipping breakfast because I'm hurrying and I'm under stress? Am I skipping lunch because I'm busy at my desk? Am I skipping lunch because it's okay that I'm busy right now, but I will make sure and eat dinner? Those kind of decisions now are, are what I do. Mm -hmm. uh, and then additional is the sleep. And so I, I love sleep. Sleep is not a problem for me. It's just a matter of getting into bed and doing it. And so yeah. uh, my body literally requires closer to nine hours sleep than it does eight. And uh, uh, it's not something I'm particularly proud of because we live in a culture that, you know, everybody stays up and binges and we, you know, four hours sleep, five hours sleep, six hours sleep. Uh, but we know uh, Thrive Global talks about it. If you consistently get six hours sleep, which was pretty much at, at best my norm during the season, if you get six hours of sleep, it's the equivalent of having been awake for 24 hours. It affects your cognitive mm -hmm. thinking as though you've been a lot awake for 24 hours. So I make sure that I at least get my eight hours in, if at all possible. In yeah. Well, and I feel like more people are that way than, you know, I can survive on a lot less sleep than I can thrive on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Well said. If if I need to, and and I and I've certainly learned this in my life right now, where I do so much work uh, that is at just crazy times of the day, that um, yeah, I definitely can, and probably about twice a week in my with my current schedule, I I work through the night, mm. and I can do it, but <laughs> um, 
you're not getting the brightest, sharpest Steven at that time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Licks not make some life decisions during that time, right? Yes, yes. And, and even I find that I, I'm, I'm not, I don't like driving after I've done that. I don't like, mm. you know, and, and uh, you know, going back to some of those those statistics, and I don't remember the, the one right off the top of my head, but, you know, back when we used to do a lot of the Thrive Global stuff, it was one that um, uh, talked about at what point it's the same as being legally impaired. And, and, and I, if I remember right, it was really like 17 hours without sleeping. It wasn't like it was such a huge amount that we couldn't get to that point pretty easily. Right. Um, right. But it's, it's the same as your cognitive ability is not far from actually being inebriated. And yes. where we would hopefully uh, not think of going to work um, under the influence or, or going out and driving a car or doing those things, a lack of sleep is not far from that. And, yeah. um, and I, I remember another one of those statistics really pointed out that people who can live off less than eight hours of sleep or can thrive on less than eight hours of sleep are mm-hmm. few, few and far between. Between. Yeah, if I not recall, nearly as many like, people. It's like one yeah, percent. That's <laughs> what I was going to say. If I remember, I think it was like one percent or less is what they estimate from yeah. their research. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that we're not doing it. It's just mm. that's not our best self. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and the wonderful thing for me was once I recognized those areas, uh, then that gave me the ability to take steps to prevent it, and so. Um, honestly, since that time, uh, so once, uh, to, to kind of wrap up the hospital story itself, uh, once I had that awakening, so to speak, and acknowledged what was happening, literally my body temperature dropped. I mean, within hours, my body temperature dropped, they came in the room and eventually they were sort of packing my bags for me, letting me know that, oh, it looks like everything's good. You're free to go. And I literally had to stop them and ask them, well, why was I here? You know, and uh, it, again, this is my gastrologist that was coming to the hospital. And uh, so his response was, well, you had a gastrointestinal virus. And it's like, I, you know, that's a pretty big word to me. I had no idea, you know, I can dissect it now that I've been through it. But at the time, I had no clue what the heck he was talking about. Uh, basically, it just means you had a stomach virus and it went away. Uh, but my question to him is the one that amused me, uh, at least his response to my question, I should say, is I asked him, I said, well, what caused me to get it? And his response was, well, there's bacteria and there are stuff floating in the air all the time. Now, mind you, this is pre-COVID. <laughs> but anyhow, he says, there's bacteria and there's stuff in the air. And this is my paraphrase, stuff in the air floating all the time. He said, the real question is, why more of us don't get it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, <laughs> I've just been in the hospital for three days and this guy has no clue why the heck I was here. That's <laughs> what I walked away with. <laughs> well, you know, and it's, it's interesting because I, I remember um, having a really bad flu uh, years ago, probably mm-hmm. almost, almost 15 years ago. And, uh, and it was just crazy because the I had this flu and then it like it abated, it went away for like two days and then it hit me again even harder. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna go talk to my doctor. And I, I did schedule an appointment. I went and saw him, and um, 
you know, I, I said, what, what, what did I re get it? What happened? Why did it go away and come back? And uh, he's like, well, that's really not how a flu functions. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't tell you why. And I, I straight up asked him, I said, you know, I, I, at that time I was like, I'm working, I'm going to school. I have, you know, I had two kids then now I have a third, but um, I was like, could, could this be stress related? He says, Oh, well, yes. Almost every time you get sick, it's stress related. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, it's interesting. Cause you know, he, 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 and he kind of stopped there and he's like, yes. He says, when, when you yeah. are stressed, um, and, and this kind of, I think, merges what your doctor says. He said, there's, there's things constantly around us medically mm-hmm. that Your are just trying to attack us. And we have our immune response that is in, in a constant engagement <laughs> with, yes. with uh, these bacteria and these viruses. He says, when, when stress comes in, it's basically, you know, as if you gave your immune system the day off <laughs> to go fight the things you're worried about. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and he said, and that will make you much more susceptible. You're immune compromised at that point. Um, so I think it definitely takes, takes the two things and, and merges them together. And, and, and that always stuck with me, especially his response, like, well, duh, of course. Yes. If you think this is stress related, you're absolutely right. Because almost always <laughs> your illness is stress related. Isn't that something? Yeah. Yeah, and it's why why do we? And I I don't expect you to actually have a answer, but I do have to ask why why do we not think of that? You know, why do we not go yeah. to stress as maybe the first thing, and then the symptoms as the secondary? And I, I but I do think, knowing the age of your children, the age of mine, I think we are maybe in medical the medical culture is maybe much more conscious now of the mental health and how that affects the physical health as well. Well, and I think and so, another item to that is, um, and, and I've heard this several times, and it's <laughs> it's something that floats around in the vegan circles, but it, do, it doesn't just apply there. And that is that we don't have a healthcare system. We have a sick care system. Yes. That, um, we're, we're really not about um, creating health. For the most part, when we look at our doctors and our nurses and definitely grateful for everything that they do, but we go to them when something is wrong. Yes, and we don't have, and and, I, and I'm not sure that even the way the system is set up is really set up in any way to be that healthcare where it's about how are we going to promote general health in this individual, um, not just how are we going to fix the problem. If if you think about uh, your car, and if you want your car to last a long time, you go to the mechanic way more often for preventative care. Yes you know, to get your oil changed, to get um, your radiator flushed every so often, <laughs> to get your, your transmission um, uh, taken care of, you know, the flush on their transmission as well. You, you would be doing that much more often than when you go to actually have something fixed. Because once you get to the point that things are breaking, because yes. you've neglected that other regular care, um, that car, it's, it's, there, it's life is limited at that yeah point. i had i had a lawnmower that i did not know was leaking oil and mm-hmm. so once i went to get that lawnmower fixed 
my solution was to replace it. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, when we're talking about human life here, I don't think that's an option for most of us. There might no, be some I, belief out there, but I, uh, yeah. I have to check and see if I got a spare somewhere, but I'm pretty sure I don't. Yeah, the video game reality does not work in real that, life. The little one-up coin that we yeah. used to see in Mario Brothers. Or yeah, I haven't seen that one you know, yeah. materialize. And, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's amazing what we can do uh, from the sick care side of things. It's amazing what things yes. can be replaced and can yeah, be. How resilient our bodies really are. Yeah. And, and that's amazing. But it, it, I think when it comes to complete health, we've got to somehow look and see that it, there is value in the things that maybe in the past seem selfish. Yeah. That, it doesn't do us any good um, to not stop and, and maybe take a vacation to not stop. And you know, yeah. I remember think back when we had uh, David Danzig on here with us and, and the bath bombs, which I had never even heard of those, but you know, yes. to take that long um, warm bath um, yeah. and, and treat yourself to things that are calming. Well, and I know you, you and I have heard the term uh, through, through our employer, uh, put your own oxygen mask on first. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think that's so sensible because like you mentioned, it, in, in its own way, it can sound selfish. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, the same thing, if, if we think of that airplane, the oxygen mask, that's the reasoning, the logic behind. And I know somebody somewhere is radically going to be selfish in the whole thing, but most of us <laughs> are not that way that I've encountered. And so we do need to put our own oxygen mask on first. And, and I so, think sometimes what we think is radically selfish is someone who is just really needs a lot, <laughs> um, yes, you know, that true. you would not go into true. a hospital situation. Cause we, we understand it with physical health. We don't go in and say, well, that that guy's hogging all the oxygen, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and this is the person that has COPD or something like that. You know, um, we, we recognize that uh, there are different levels uh, that people deal with at different times and they have different needs. And mm-hmm. sometimes what someone needs may be, may seem much more selfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just because it's not the same need that, that you have. Wow. That's a great observation, Steve. I mean, we can, I, I don't know that it would make a podcast many people would listen to, but you can, <laughs> I can certainly talk about that for a while because we, we do have, uh, and, and this is a rabbit trail I know, so I'll get back, but we do, uh, it, culturally, we, we don't like anything that stands out of the norm. And mm-hmm. so if somebody like you're talking about has a higher need for some mental affirmation or a higher need, even sometimes physically, uh, you know, the crutches, the wheelchairs, whatnot, then our society as a whole somewhat doesn't know how to deal with those abnormalities. And I don't mean that as an insult to anybody. What I mean is it's different than the norm. That's why I'm calling it an abnormality. It's not personal, uh, but we, we literally don't, you know, and I, I always, just a real simple example, I use the idea that we, we always loved Walmart until it was number one. Now we hate it. And so right now, Amazon is moving up to number one. So we're beginning to hate Amazon because it's it's such a far outlier that we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So I, I think that's a great observation there. Well, I think but, especially when it comes into individuals who may have, um, you know, some sort of 
difference or disability, you know, specifically I'm thinking about people who are neuroatypical or we might call autistic mm -hmm. or, um, you know, who, uh, or maybe people who um, have OCD, obsessive compulsive mm -hmm. disorder, you know, that we can look at them and see someone who, um, like, for example, working in hospitality, I remember hearing um, from a coworker who had been working up at the front desk and somebody came down and looked him in the eye and said, you gave me a room and I wanted a view and there's a palm tree in front of my window and began to cry mm -hmm. and sob uncontrollably and everyone just sat there and thought what the hell is going on yeah. with this person Look around the palm tree <laughs> <laughs> exactly and, and this you are on vacation and you are you know um uh you you, you have so many amazing things that you can do you know just <laughs> um th this palm tree is not it should not be what is what is destroying your vacation the challenge is, though, is we don't actually get to see how that person's brain functions or why it's functioning or why that has become a breaking point for that individual. Yeah. You know, what what we probably should do instead is think, you know, and, and I've actually heard this uh, many times. And I think it comes from um, uh, I'm not sure who wrote Crucial Conversations, but it's very uh, common um, uh training out there for how to deal with um, high stakes uh, situations when you have to communicate, you know, but one of the things that I, I believe, I believe this is where I'm stealing it from <laughs> is uh, they talk about asking the question, what would make a reasonable, rational person act this way? Mm -hmm. And in hospitality, we used to do, use this all the time. We would say, you know, when somebody is acting out, ask yourself that question first, because no matter what you, you're not going to get the right story without, getting into some probing that you really can't do at that point. But if you ask yourself that question, you'll come up with a story that's more productive in the way of dealing with that person and helping that person. You know, like I remember uh, there was a, uh, a person who was a, a loss prevention or security uh, individual who uh, was really well known for uh, just always, um, you know, taking care of some of the most uh, difficult people. And he would, he would say that he would always imagine that they, you know, when someone had come back drunk from a casino or from, you know, that he would imagine that they'd just been through a horrible family tragedy. Yeah. And, and then that created this, this potential for him to feel this empathy. Yes. And then when he had that empathy, he was much more capable of handling things that just seemed socially so off mm -hmm. about individuals. Yes. Well, and that, that kind of runs us full circle back to putting the oxygen mask on first, though, right? So if I'm going to be empathetic to the drunk coming back from the casino and imagine they've just gone through a family crisis, I have to be in some fair health myself to be able to have yes. the capacity to do that. And so uh, I, I do just want to encourage our listeners, you know, we've talked plenty about mental health. Uh, off and on throughout the pandemic and through this throughout this podcast life of this podcast so i do want to encourage you you know if if indeed you're feeling stressed um, you don't feel abnormal because 
right now the globe is feeling stressed, I can assure you. And the good thing, if I could just share the testimony of my own experience and, and wrap up my own experience, once I recognized those three areas that were key to mine, uh, it gave me the ability, I understood that was really understanding the triggers. So just to recap, I had to acknowledge the situation. I had to know what my triggers were, and those were three areas and then doing that, it allowed me to then become proactive uh, in avoiding those situations from happening again. Now, mm-hmm. the part of the story that I want to give encouragement to our listeners that might feel, well, heck, I just can't deal with this stress and I don't know when it's going to go away. Uh, my six-month-old daughter is now 30 years old. And so during the last 29 and a half years, again, PG, uh, I have vomited probably four times. Two of those were stress-related again. Mm-hmm. But I literally have not been sick to my stomach probably more than four times. I've, I've not kept accurate count, but I can promise you stress has only been a factor. Uh, I, I do remember specifically a couple of times after that where the same situation crept up on me and I did get sick again. What's on the side of the road. But anyways, I did get sick again due to stress. Uh, So it does work is what my answer is. You know, is you might have to find a different solution for your stress. uh, But I know just being cognitively aware of it is a factor. Taking the time to reflect, meditate on the situation is a factor that helps bring healing. And so I I really... uh, I know I'm excited for myself because I had opportunity. I saw my gastrologist some years later, just a matter of a couple, two, three years after going through the hospital. And he, uh, I was working retail at the time and he came through and, Hey, yeah, do you remember me? You might not remember me, but I let him know that I I was healed of that stress. (laughs) In my mind, I was truly healed uh, because I found out the source of the problem and I found out what worked for me to fix it. And therefore, I did not need that medical attention anymore. And it was, you know, I know the guy's looking at me like I'm crazy as I'm explaining to him, but I, I was just this man that had been healed of the symptoms that I'd been battling. Uh, at the time I was dealing with him for at least a year. And so it really was in its own way miraculous for me. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that we, we forget about with stress, and I used to um, teach the Red Cross first aid class, and we would talk about, you know, cardio emergencies and things like that. And, you know, oftentimes um, people would share stories about when they had gone to the hospital, believing they were having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And were instead diagnosed with having a panic attack or yes. uh, some sort of stress-related um, emergency. And, you know, people would often say, I found out it was, it was just stress. It was just, just stress. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and when you think about the damage that stress does to your immune system, the yes. damage it does to your brain, <laughs> um, you would never say, oh, it was just cancer because now we know what it is. You know, stress is a, it's a real thing and yes. it, and it, and it's, and it's really not something that needs to be downplayed in yeah. any way at all. If, if you're, if you're dealing with stress, then you should at the very least be able to say, oh, I am dealing with something real. I'm not yes. dealing with something that is 
you know, my brain just isn't strong enough to handle this, you know? Yeah. And, and I think if there's one thing I've learned uh, as I've gotten older, it's that everybody, every single human has a breaking point. Yes. That, that you cannot uh, continue. Like burnout is a real thing. <laughs> just like yes. any machine, you, you can overclock it for a little while you know, if you want to, if you want to get into your computer and you want to make it run faster, you can. Anyone can change the settings within their computer and, and overclock it, make the processor run faster. But what ends up happening is it overheats and it melts down. And we're really no different. Um, nobody is so strong that they can handle the weight of the world without having that release every yeah. once in a while, you know, and um it's hard because I know when I've been the most stressed, even times when I recognized I was extremely stressed, I felt very trapped. And I, I, and I would imagine Leonard in your story, there was a similar sensation. Oh yeah. It was like, but what do I do? I, yes. you, you still had a young daughter. You still had that job. You still, had, yeah. you know, that, that sometimes we look at these big stressors that come in and we say, yeah, they're stressing me out, but, I don't have the ability to root this out of my life. You know, if it's my job that's stressing me, yeah, well, you know, if I think I'm stressed now, let me, let me, let me see how I do when I don't get a paycheck, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that can, that can be really difficult. That's what I think is genius about, about your story and what you shared is you couldn't change some of those big things. Right. But there were some items that you could do. And, and I, I find it's interesting, you know, that those are, they were kind of rituals, you know, making sure you're yes. taking the time to eat every day. It may have been you needed the nutrition, but it also may have been you needed to have some things that were set and that were for you. Yeah, even just the pause of the meal, yes. perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, for me, that's what I would, I, I'm going to try and take away from it. Because believe it or not, I, I'm stressed right now. <laughs> mm, yeah. and, and, and the way that I deal with stress is often trying to to look for humor, but I know when it gets really bad when I don't find humor helpful anymore. Or like mm -hmm. you said, that uh, when you are really stressed, you don't eat. Well, when I'm kind of stressed, I eat, and when I get really, really stressed, then I stop. <laughs> so I know once I stop stress eating, I know it's really gotten bad, you know. Um, and 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 I think being being aware of that and maybe yes. putting in those rituals those points that just cause you to stop. You know, one of the things and maybe the best advice I ever heard is that when you put your to-do list together, realize there's only one thing that has to be done today. And that's every single day. There's only one thing that has to be done and that is you need to breathe. So when it gets to that point, just stop and just do that one thing. And maybe that can help as well. And then, of course, as we always say, we are not professionals in mental health. So right. get get professional help when you need it. You know, you're worth it. Your family thinks you're worth it. If they don't, <laughs> that's their problem. But you're still worth it <laughs> yes. uh, and getting that help if you need it. So, yeah. Leonard, super huge thank you to you for, for sharing, you know, your vulnerability today. I know it's not always easy to go back and, and share share stories of times when when things were, were not as as good. But I, I definitely appreciate 
even for my benefit, you taking the time to, to share that with me and with all the rest of our listeners. Oh, thank you, Steve. Definitely a pleasure and, and certainly a lesson learned for me. And that's, that's why I'm so readily willing to share. So again, just, uh, I, I don't want to repeat what Steve said, but just for our listening audience, we certainly encourage you to reach out, even drop us a note. We are not a cure-all, but we'd love to talk with you. If you are feeling down and out, or if you've got some success stories of your own, you can reach us at furloughedmailbox at gmail.com, furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. And as always, we want to thank our sponsor, Upwards Unlimited. They specialize in helping you and your teams improve your conversations, connections, collaboration, and community. Until next week, have a great week and prepare for the stress ahead so it won't catch you off guard. (laughs) Goodbye, everyone.